Stand with me with your Bibles and journey with me to the book of Job. Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Verses 11 through 13. Job 2. Verses 11 through 13. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, to all of our elders and ministers, to our deacons, to our mothers, Sister Swims, amen, to all of God's people. So good to have Reverend Williams back, amen, as he's been recovered from hip replacement surgery, he's doing good, amen. All right. Came in with a little extra, a little extraness in his walk this morning, I said, well, look at God. <laughs> Job chapter 2 is good to see you, Reverend. Amen. Even though he's been down and recovering, he's still been making sure the ministry still went forth and did what had to be done. I said, Rev, you ain't got to do it, but he wanted to do it. Amen. I just appreciate people that do stuff like that. Amen. Amen. Job 2, 11 through 13. When you have it, say amen. amen. If you don't, just say wait. Job 2, 11 through 13 from the New Living Translation of the Bible, it reads as this, and I've been practicing these names, so show grace and patience with me, amen, amen. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their name was Eli Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuddite, and Zorah, uh, the Namanite, Namanite, when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their clothes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. And I love this part. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word, a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. I want to talk to you for part two of our new series that we're in entitled Trigger. But I want to preach from the title this morning, Being There When It Matters. Being There When It Matters. Father, we thank you right now for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness towards us, Father. We appreciate the fact, oh God, how you have been there for us when it mattered the most. But God, we're even more so grateful for when you have sent people in our lives to be there when we needed them most. And so, Father, I pray that we can walk away today with tools, that we can walk away with more knowledge on how we can better serve family and friends that may be grieving. I pray that our hearts are penetrated. I pray that our ears are open to hear that we may grow and do better. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. As you take your seat, just say something to somebody around you. Give them a hug, a fist bump, just something. Just say you look good today. I'm glad to see you this morning. Being there when it matters. We kicked this off last week, 
looking at Job chapter 1, looking at the life of Job and seeing how he was able to walk through the valley of grief. We learn from Job how to be able to express our grief and not to be able to hold it in. I do realize that last week, even though the series title is Triggered, that this message was a trigger for some. How do I know that? Because some told me. They said, Pastor, you triggered me last week. Not my intention to do it in the way to harm you, but I'm glad that it happened in the way to be able to grow us. So that we can be able to embrace this thing called grief. So that we won't try to shy away from it. So that we won't try to to block it. So that we won't try to ignore it. So that we don't try to go on with life and act as if everything is okay when everything is not okay. Can we be honest this morning and admit the fact to say that it is okay sometimes not to be okay? And grief is one of those areas where it is okay not to be okay. Because grief can hit you just, and grief can hit you anytime, anywhere. It could be a smell, it could be a scent, it can be a song, it can be a material, it can be clothing, it can be a date, it can be a season, it can be any and everything right, that can right. trigger you just like that. Where I was good, the day was starting off great, the day was starting off fine, then all of a sudden, Elder James, I had a thought. And that thought just took me right down the path that I didn't want to go. And then when that happens, it is okay to fully be in the moment of what you are experiencing in your heart because just because you may have a moment right there, it does not mean that you don't love God. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It does not mean that you don't even trust God. It simply means I'm human and I've had a loss in my life, whether it had been a loved one, whether it had been a friend, whether it had been an opportunity, whether it had been a job. I've had a loss in my life and I'm trying to figure out <coughs> how to navigate through it all. Job, you all know the story. I don't have to do a full recap. You can learn this in Sunday School 101. Had everything, had so much. He had the life. We don't know what type of house that he had, but the Bible says that Job was a very wealthy man, so I got to believe that he had a nice crib. No, no, I got to believe he had a nice house. I know they didn't have cars, but I got to believe he had the fastest camel <laughs> you could buy. I mean, that camel was, I mean, it was bossed out. It had, it had the nicest hooves and all. I mean, it was just bad. <laughs> Kept it well-groomed and everything, Reverend William. It was bad, Mother Ampy. But it also tells us that not only did Job was he rich in material things, but Job, 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 Job was rich in his walk and in his relationship with God because the Bible says that every day he would go to the temple to make a sacrifice for on behalf of his, kill, his children just in case they sin. Brother said, let me make sure that as I start this day out that my kids are covered. He made sure he was a good father. He was faithful to his wife. But then all of a sudden, life takes a turn for the worse, and everything that Job had is gone. Everything, money, kids, fortune, 
401k, everything, savings, everything, life, everything is gone. Just like that. And Job is having to try to figure out how do I navigate through this? And Job's wife, she's grieving in the midst because just as Job has lost, she's lost as well. And she tells Job, she says, hey, brother, why don't you give up this whole thing about trusting God? She said, in fact, how about you just curse God and die? And Job said, you sound like a foolish woman. How can I, how can I curse a God? How can I curse a God who has given me everything that I've had? How can I curse a God that has been good to me? And Job ends it by saying that naked I came from a mother's womb and naked I will depart. But the name of the Lord is still going to be praised. Talk bad about Job's wife, but she's grieving. She's grieving. I like what Dr. R.A. Vernon says. He said, when your head, when your heart don't work, your head don't either. He says that when your heart don't work, that what comes out of your mouth may not really be what you need to say, but it's really how you feel. She's hurting just as Job is, and she's trying to figure out, we've done all this stuff for God, and this is how God repays us? She's navigating, trying to make sense of the losses. She's navigating, trying to make sense of everything that has happened. And she's trying to understand how could a loving, gracious God that has been so good to us all along this time allow for this tragedy to happen? They don't lose just one child, two kids, three. They lose They don't just lose just one account, savings account, checking. They lose all. How do you still confess a hope in Christ when Job was minding his own business, Satan walking around, and God said, hey, 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 I know you're looking for something to do. Let me give you somebody to mess with. What? Satan wasn't even looking for Job. God said, have you considered Job? He's an upright man. You can do whatever to him, and I know he won't turn his back on me. What do you do? How do you handle a God that when the tragedy has happened in your life, it all stemmed from him because it was his idea to get you involved in the mix? Job is having to navigate through all that, all that. Job's wife is having to navigate through all of that. He's going through seasons of emotions and moments of trying to figure out what to do, how to do it. He has no idea what to do, but what he does do, he continues to put his faith and his trust in God. And though he's grieving, though he's going through, God sends people in his life to walk with him through the season of grief. God is so mindful of Job that he recognizes the fact that all of this has jumped off in your life because of me. But though I'm here, yes, you have a relationship with me. Yes, you have your trust in me. But I am going to send people in your life to come and walk with you as you journey through this thing called 
And so I want to share this morning, again, from the title, Being There When It Matters. Job's friends show us <coughs> how to be there when it matters. Here it is. Here's the first thing it says. We're going to jump right into it. Right. Amen. Because I know you still got some Christmas shopping to do. I know you still got some greens to be able to clean and put it in the freezer in preparation. Amen. Of, of Christmas Eve. Amen. I know that you do. So let's hurry up and go ahead and get out of here. If we want to be there for people when it matters the most, if we really want to help those that are grieving, here's the first thing. It's very practical. We have to practice the ministry of presence. We have to practice the ministry of presence, of knowing how to show up and to be there for people when they are going through. Sometimes it's not about, it's not about, it's not about, it's not about what you say. Sometimes it's simply about being there. And this is what Job's friends do. They get there, they heard about the tragedy. And they took it upon themselves at their own expense to leave their homes to come to their friend to be able to console him. They get there and the Bible says, they see uh, that Job was so unrecognizable that they almost didn't even know who their friend was. Grief can hit you so heavy that it can not only change the inwardly of your emotions, it can change the outness, the outwardness of your countenance that people won't even be able to recognize you. They see their friend from afar off. They see their friend. They come to where Job is. They, they get there. They get there. And when they see him, what do they do? They begin to tear their robes. They begin to wail. They begin to throw ashes in the air and sprinkle it over their head so that other people know that we are grieving with our friend Job. They show up. And here's what I love about it. They ain't said nothing but showed up. Do you know how powerful it is that when someone is grieving, just to show up and be present? Do you know that just showing up and just being there is such a blessing to those that are grieving? Don't you know that you showing up and being there it's such a blessing to them. It's more than words could ever be said. Just your presence. And I love it because they match where Job is. Job has been crying. Job has torn his robe. Job has put, uh, has put ashes over his head to be able to express their grief. So they say, hey, Job, if you're crying, we're going to cry right with you, buddy. If you don't tore your robe, we're going to tore our robes right with you, buddy. If you're sitting here well, we're going to well right with you, buddy. They never said a mumbling word, but they sat there and they, and they connected themselves to show some empathy to where their friend was. Just to let him know you're not in this by yourself, man. They practice the ministry of presence because here it is. We can be honest this morning. Other people's grief makes us uncomfortable. Okay, y'all leaving me by myself. I said, let me say it again. Other people's grief makes us uncomfortable. 
And because we're uncomfortable, we're trying to figure out, what do I say? What do I do? And we're overthinking it when all we have to do is just be there. Because when we start overthinking it, we start, as I often tell my girls, you're doing too much. <laughs> because we will try, not that we're doing it on purpose, not that we're doing it intentionally, but we'll start saying stuff that really we should not say. And we're causing more harm than good, and we're really not trying to. We're just so nervous and uncomfortable because I don't know exactly how you feel. I don't know exactly what's going on. I just want to be here, but I'm so uncomfortable, and I'm saying stuff that I probably shouldn't say. Because I don't know what to say. Can I just help you out real quick, y'all? When you don't know what to say, just sit there and say absolutely nothing. You don't have to try to quote a scripture. You don't have to try to say anything. You don't have to try to be a great theologian and say something profound. Just sit there and say absolutely nothing. And just be there with them. If they cry, I'm going to cry with them. They roll in the floor, <laughs> I'm rolling the other way. <laughs> Whatever it is, if I don't have the, because I don't want to make the mistake and say the wrong thing and cause unintentionally harm when I was really trying to be helpful. What do you say to a parent that has lost a child and you never lost a child? What do you say to a son or daughter that has lost a parent and you never lost a parent? What do you say to someone that has lost a spouse and you never lost a spouse? What do you say in those moments? Sometimes it's nothing that you can say and we don't have to try to over-spiritualize it. We don't have to try to put a scripture with it. We don't have to say, well, you know God just wanted another flower for his garden. I cringe because I can think of other trifling folks that could have been picked up. And when you say that, it's not giving me any consolation at all. It's making me even more upset because I think about others who could have been taken and not my loved one. So when we don't know what, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. Please. please, if you don't know what to say, don't, know what to say. don't say nothing at all. We have the ministry of presence that we can be there for a person that if you don't think about nothing else, remember this, Job's friends showed up and they were just there. Though it may have been uncomfortable, they were there. Though they didn't understand or feel exactly where he is, they were there. Though they didn't totally understand and maybe got questions in their mind, they were there, present in the moment with their friend. They didn't text Job and say, well, Job, man, you know, I would have been there. Uh, you know, if you could send me $20 on cash, I can get some gas to get there. <laughs> Bible says they found out about their friend. 
they took it upon themselves as far as expenses to be able to get to where their friend was. That's real friendship. That's real friendship. That I'm not just a friend that I can celebrate with you when you have the victory. But we need friends in our lives that I need you there at those moments where it is high and we're living high. But I need friends that can be able to walk with me and be there in the valley of the shadow of death when life gets hard. Pastor Stephen Robinson, our old minister of music, was at his anniversary few months ago and a couple got up there and they were just talking about their friendship and just sharing how Pastor Robinson was there with them when they had lost three of their children, four of their children, five of their children. They said, but Pastor Robinson was also there when we had our first child, when we had our second child, when we had our third child, when we had our fourth child, that he was not just there in the moments where it was nice and lovely, he was there when it was uncomfortable and ugly. Job's friends show us the value and the importance of the ministry of presence, of just being there when you need to be there. Listen, if you want to help a friend, if you want to help the grieving, if you want to be there when it matters, it's not just practicing the ministry of presence, but it's also this, number two, empathizing with them. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, when they saw Job from a distance, <coughs> they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes. They threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. They put themselves in the place of Job. They put themselves in Job's shoes to understand the depth of his pain and his sorrow. Why? Because his grief was so hard that there were no words to be able to fully explain the magnitude of his pain. It's good to show up, but in our showing up, we have to pray that God will give us hearts to be able to empathize with people. But we just simply place ourselves in their shoes to take on and to feel what they're feeling in the moment. Because to be able to empathize with people when they're grieving means that you have to take the spotlight off of yourself. Oh, God, help me this morning, church. That means that I cannot empathize and be self-centered at the same time. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all talking back to me today. That's okay. I might even walk a little bit, praise the Lord. If we're going to empathize with people, it means the attention cannot be on me. It means if I'm sitting with the grieving and they've had a loss and I may have had a loss that may be similar to theirs, it's not story time on my end to share my personal experiences. Now everybody is around you, fan of you because you done fell out. But you came here to be here for your friend. 
The ministry of presence is nothing without us empathizing right. and meaning that I'm taking the spotlight off of myself and I'm recognizing the fact, Brother Steele, that it is not about me in this moment. Yes, I may have had a similar situation. Yes, I may have a similar thing that I can be able to connect to, but I don't have to bring in personal stories that takes the attention away from you and put the spotlight on me. We, we help the grieving when we show up. We help the grieving when we empathize. We help the grieving when we sit with them and take on the emotions and the feelings of what they're going through. One of the challenging parts of ministry, challenging parts of pastoring, is not just when I have the best seat in the house, as my, my good friend, Pastor David Behringer says, and I see the bride, the beautiful bride walks down the aisle and unite them together. When I bless a baby, when I bless a home, challenging part is when you're having to put your hand on top of their hand as they close the casket one last time. Challenging part is when you're having to be there in the hospital praying and hoping that things turn around and knowing that they ain't going to turn around. Trying to figure out, trying to make sense. I remember sitting in the hospital with a loved one and the loved one asked me, she said, Pastor, help me make sense of this. Help me understand why them. And I sat there silent because I had nothing to say. There was nothing Mother Tessie I could have said to help. Because the same question they were wrestling with is the same question I'm wrestling with, Mama Lou. Why? Why? You could have, God, you're the God of miracles. We sing it. We sing it later in the midnight hour. God's going to turn. We turn around. Why? And I sat there with absolutely, I said, I have no idea. I have the same question up before God that you have because it doesn't make sense to me. We're going to have the ministry of present saints. It takes us empathizing with them. And not just empathizing, but number three, spending time with them. All of this is simple. All of this is practical. All of this is not some deep theological thing. It is simple, practical things that yet still we need the grace of God and the wisdom of God to help us to be able to know right, when right. to do it, how to do it. So that we're a blessing and helpful to our friends that may be in need. Look at verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job. For they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Seven days and seven nights. 
They sat on the ground with their friend and said absolutely nothing. Because they knew that his grief was too strong for words. He sat there with his friend for seven days and seven nights. What a friend that is. That though Job's grief is uncomfortable, though Job's grief is complicated, they sit with him. Y'all, please use your sanctified imagination. They have used sick days from work. I don't know, Dr. Kimbrough, I don't know if they had sick days back then. I don't know. They're farmers and stuff. They're, they're, they're dealing with ag. I don't know. But for seven days straight, they put their life on hold to sit with their friend. For seven days straight, they stopped what they were doing that brought comfort to their own lives to be there for their friend. For seven days straight, they sacrificed. They may have had other family. They sacrificed. Hey, don't do that. Don't do it. Seven days straight, they sat there with their friend and said and did Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's, bring your attention. We all good. We all good. We all good. Clap your hands real good. Clap your hands. We all good. We're all good. That's when bringing a friend matters the most. That's how you know that you got a good friend, that they will sacrifice their time. They would sacrifice their life. They would sacrifice their comfort to be with you in your time of need. And here's a lesson that we can learn from this as well. Don't be afraid of the silence. Just because there's silence doesn't mean you got to fix it and say something or do something. Let the silence be and pray that God will help you to be comfortable in the silence and to help you to know when to say something, right. what to say, and when to say it. Yeah. All right. Because sometimes in the silence, the silence is a ministry all by itself that God is doing something that you have no idea of what God is doing, nor do we need to know. But just know that in that moment of silence, you have no idea what God may be doing in the hearts of those that are grieving by you being there and empathizing with them. Right, right. I came across a book in lieu of flowers by Ray Kareem, and she basically, and it's, it's so practical, um, she's a consultant, and she has taken this thing and made a ministry out of it. She is a consultant to be able to help families as they're 
grieving, practical steps when they're trying to get the funeral arrangements made, knowing what steps to take, knowing what to do, knowing what to say, how to put the obituary together, how to put the program together, how to get the resources that you need to be able to take care of your loved one. She wrote a book called In Lieu of Flowers, and part of her book, she shares about the don'ts of grief. Oh, God, she shares about the don'ts of grief. I want to share a few of them with you this morning. The first one she says is, don't be dismissive. Don't be dismissive. Again, someone else's grief is uncomfortable to us. Someone else's grief is complicated, and we really don't get it, really don't understand it, but it's not our job to try to rush past whatever grief they may be experiencing to get to the next thing, all because we're uncomfortable. But in your dismissiveness, what are you saying? You're saying that when I should be focused in on you, I'm not focused in on you because it makes me uncomfortable. And because I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to rush past it so that I can get back to being comfortable. But you ain't the one grieving. You're not the one that has, that has had a loss, which means the moment is not about you. Right. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, please don't be dismissive. Here it is, second one. Don't be so quick to move on to the next subject or make an attempt to fix the griever or their feelings. Oh, I'm going to read that again. Don't be so quick to move on to the next subject or make an attempt, I like the second half, or make an attempt to fix the griever or their feelings. All of us in here, we have a little bit of Olivia Oliver Pope in us. <laughs> where we want to be able to fix stuff. We want to be able to fix feelings. We want to be able to fix, that's what we do. We're fixers. We want to be able to fix things because we want everything to be okay. But we bring, we bring about unintentional harm when we're being dismissive, when we're being quick to move on to the next subject or try to fix them. When in all reality, just because I'm grieving doesn't mean I'm broken. doesn't mean that I need to be fixed. It means I'm in a moment in my life where I have a loss and I'm grieving. I'm in a season of something I'm having to readjust my life. Whether it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of a friend, a loss of an opportunity. I'm not broken. I don't need you to fix me. I need you to empathize with me. I don't need you to fix me. I need you to be here with me. I don't need you to fix me. I need you just to sit with me in what I'm experiencing right now in my life. I'm not looking for you to have the right words. I'm not looking for you to have the solution. I'm just looking for you to be a friend when it matters most. Here's number three. Don't impose happiness. Don't try to force someone to be happy. And again, our intentions are great. Our intentions are good. 
We see a loved one. We see a friend, a loved one, someone that may be sad. And we want to do everything in our power to be able to make them happy. But grief doesn't just work like that. And then when they're not showing the expressions of happiness that we want them to, then we come with words and we're saying stuff that we should not say that can almost end a relationship because we're trying to fix them and get them to be in the mood that they don't want to be in. People grieve in their own way. People grieve according to their own schedule. Some, they don't want to be reminded of the day. For some, they don't want to be around people. For some, they want to be in isolation for a moment. And it is okay. If they desire to express their grief in that way. You know why? Somebody asked me why. Oh, because you asked me, I'll tell you. You don't know how you would express yourself if you were in their shoes. You don't know what your response would be if you had to deal with what they're dealing with right now. So because you don't know how, because you don't know what your response would be and how you would react, how dare us try to judge or control how someone else else grieves. trying to make them be happy when getting up was a struggle. So you want me to be happy, but I couldn't even put one leg in front of the other to get out of bed. I don't have the strength to eat, and you want me to be happy? That's the last thing on my mind right now is being happy. So don't be so quick to try to force them to be happy. Here's number four. Don't make statements like, you can get another job. God knows best. At least you have. Saints. God knows best. I know our intentions. Oh, God, I know what we're trying to say. But can I tell you, for the one that is grieving and in that moment, God knows best is a dagger rather than a healer. Because it opens up with so many other questions, well, if God knows best, how come I didn't get the promotion when the promotion would have benefited me and my family? If God knows best, why didn't he heal like he had before? So though our intentions may be right, all of this is done with the right heart and the right intentions, and some of it is just what we've learned, it's just what we know, so we just repeat, we just recycle what we've seen and what we've heard. Right. Never taking the time to ask ourselves the question, well, would I want somebody saying that to me? Oh, you can get another job. Yeah, but I wanted that job. (laughs) It could be another opportunity, but, but I wanted that one. 
Again, our attentions, our hearts are in the right place. And then number five, don't over-spiritualize grief. You don't have to give someone a Bible study on death. You don't have to spill out and just spurt out scriptures and all. Yes, weeping may endure for a night and joy comes in the morning. Yeah, but what happens when that night is not just a day? But the night is a year, two, three, four, ten, twenty. I get what you're saying, but it just ain't helpful right now. Or we use the scripture from Thessalonians when it says, hey, that we, uh, 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 that we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope as those, uh, yeah, we don't grieve without hope. I, I get what you're saying, but we miss it and we run to the hope. But the writer is saying, but you grieve first and then there's hope. He's not saying not to grieve as believers. He's saying, hey, even though you have hope in Christ as believers, you still have a right to grieve. That grief may be years. Grief may be for a lifetime. But I'm constantly having to make adjustments in my life to deal with the new reality. I don't need you to preach to me. I don't need you to give me a Bible study. I don't need you to give me a seminar. Just, just be here. You ain't got to quote no scripture. Just be here. You ain't got to try to share words of comfort because your words are not comfort. If you keep talking, I'm going to ask you to leave to put my plate down, my fork, and put my chicken back and go. Well, now it's flu season. Keep the chicken, take it with you, go. <laughs> no, I'm for real. We over-spiritualize it when we're trying to help, but we're causing more harm. We're trying to bring comfort with the scriptures, and we're only saying what we've, what we've heard repeated, and we've never done our own study to understand the text and the context of the text. Right, right. And we're bringing something in that has nothing to do with my situation. And you're making matters worse than you are better. And here's the last thing, then we out of here, saints. I see you looking at me. I see you. Don't make this about you. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about you. I cringe when I'm in moments and there with the bereaved family and you got people, yeah, well, you know Big Mama had the same thing. Why? Why? Your, your, your intentions are right, but don't say nothing. Don't, don't, you don't have to talk about how you've had seven, eight family members in your family die from this very, you don't have to say that. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm sitting there looking and hoping they pick up my social cues. I'm smiling. I'm looking at them. Hey. I'm not, pick up your phone, get your phone, get your phone. <laughs> they're they not, they not getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as discreet. I done dropped my fork. How many times? Hey, bend down. Don't say that. Stop. <laughs> just go ahead and go. Go. Just, 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 just go. Just meet me at the church. Don't come over here no more. <laughs> because we're uncomfortable. Because their grief is complicated, because their grief is uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable to us, we're, trying, we're nervous and we're looking for any and everything to grab hold to, to have us to have some type of grounding. But in the moment, it's not about me, but it's about you. And how can I be here for you? as you're on this journey. Because the grieving just don't need you when the loved one dies. They just don't need you as they're preparing and coming by. You know our culture, we're bringing food to the house, we're stopping by, we're showing up to the funeral, we come to the repast. But we need you that next day after, then the other day, not just the anniversary, not just on those special, but we need you all the time. Why? Because I'm not just thinking about them when they passed or when it happened or, or when we said goodbye. I'm thinking about them all the time. So I need, whenever the Holy Spirit puts me on your mind, reach out to me. Text me, call me, stop by. Do, whenever the Holy Spirit is putting you on your, putting me on your mind, reach out because that's God's way of letting me know that he has not forgotten about me, that he loves me so much that he has put me on the mind of other people. And they're being the extensions of his hands and his heart in expressing their love and their concern to me. If you ain't heard nothing else that I said, man, here, here it is. Here's a big idea of what I want you to walk away from. That if you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to do, practice the ministry of presence. Just be there. Just show up. And if it's too much for you to be able to take on, excuse yourself. And not even step up to take on the task. So that you don't end up seeing or doing the wrong thing. We all need people. I know, I, I know what Vicky Winer said. She said, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need mama, daddy, sister, brother, preacher, teacher, doctor. Y'all know the role she called. Yeah, we need Jesus. But thank God for his children, too. Right, right, that's it. Thank God for people that he brings into our lives.
us. Thank God for people that will just pop up because we've been on their mind. Thank God for people that will just show up when necessary. I'm going to end with this story because it's so powerful. Sister Ross shared this a few years ago. I did a Wednesday night. We got creative during COVID, and so we did a survivor's testimony. And so Erica and Jerry has shared about Everly, and Sister Ross has shared about grief. And she was sharing that after Alana had died, that it was just, it was a whole lot, a whole lot. She said one day she had made up in her mind that she was going to walk out into Giant City. Soon she saw a semi-truck and just ended up. I had never heard that. She had never shared that with me before. She shared it today with Freak Live on Facebook. And she said the phone rang. Mama Rita had called her on the phone. And she said, Brown Sugar, you have crossed my mind. And I want to call and check in on you. That phone call saved So to you, it's just a phone call. For you, it's just a text. But for someone else, it's life transforming. It's life changing. Right. So when the Holy Spirit puts someone on your mind, don't keep putting it off. Don't keep delaying it. Do it and do it then because you have no idea what your words, what your phone call, what your text message, what your visit has the power to do in their life. also means we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know when he's telling us to act but also when he's telling us to pause and not do nothing being that when it matters it's a ministry y'all it's a ministry that's for everybody it ain't just for the preachers it ain't just for the pastors not just for the deacons not just for the mothers it is a ministry for all of us that we can practice that we can practice I want you to grab the nearest hand next to you you grab the nearest hand to you next to you And I, I, I want you to, um, I want you to pray for the hand that you're holding or the hands that you're holding. For some, if you're sitting, next, sitting around next to a college student final start tomorrow, so you can, I, I don't even have to ask you what their perfect quest is. Pray, for, for, look, pray the Lord brings everything back to my remembrance. <laughs> I remember them days. Ain't did nothing all of October and November. <laughs> Come December, I'm praying, speaking in tongues, everything, Holy Ghost, God of Abraham, Isaac of Jacob, Rebecca, Abigail, everybody, bring it back to my remembrance. Ain't studied nothing. <laughs> but 
but pray for them. Pray for the hand or the hands that you're holding it right now. Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Ain't got to be nothing deep. We ain't got to over-spiritualize it. You can pray for protection. I'll give you some stuff to pray for. You can pray for protection. You can pray for provision. You can pray for wisdom. You can pray for discernment. You can pray that God keeps them. You can pray that God covers them. You can pray God provides for them. Pray God protects them. Oh, goodness, we don't realize what a miracle it is. And when we go out to Walmart and come back home, that's a miracle. So much going on, so many th different things going on. But thank God, thank God, thank God we done made it from January to now, February to now, March to now, April to now, May to now, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. Here it is. We're days away from a, from a brand new year. Come on, pray for, those, pray for that hand. Pray for those hands that you're holding right now. If you're watching online, pray. Pray, pray, pray. You don't, you don't have no details. Pray, pray, pray. Hallelujah. 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 God, we thank you for what you're doing in our, in our neighbor's life. God, we thank you for their lives, oh God. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing them through every trial and tribulation, oh God, that they may have had to deal with. God, we thank you, oh God, in the name of Jesus, because the hand or the hands that we're holding right now, Father God, it, they, may be, they may be dealing with grief right now, God. This could be a trigger this time of the year, but God, we squeeze hope into those hands, God. <coughs> We squeeze grace into those hands, oh God. Not just saving grace, but sustaining grace, oh God. Grace that will give them the strength, oh God, to be able to tackle another day. Grace to be able to give them the grace, oh God, to be able to tackle another holiday, Father God. Thank you, Father God, in the name of Jesus for what you are doing in the lives of the hand, of the hands that we're holding right now. We thank you, Father. We praise you, O oh God, for healing. We praise you, O oh God, for sustaining. We praise you, O oh God, for deliverance. We praise you, O oh God, for everything that you are doing, everything that you have done, everything that you're doing right now, and everything that you will do in the future, Father. We thank you now. And it's in the holy and righteous name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.